Welcome to Casual Conversations, brought to you by Momentum Ministries, helping you attain, maintain, and regain momentum for life. Let's join the conversation with author and pastor Scott Wade, president of Momentum Ministries. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on Casual Conversations. I am Scott Wade, your host today. Well, I am excited to introduce to you a guest that we have on with us today. As a matter of fact, I'm excited that uh, I got to meet him this morning. And so uh, we're going to get to know him together. We have with us Reverend Scott Dinkins from uh, Chapin, South Carolina. Is that right? That's correct. All right. Well, Scott, tell us a little bit about yourself. We're, we're glad to have you on. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Scott. Um, I've been in Chapin for three years. I grew up in South Carolina. I was born and raised in Sumter. Um, I went to uh, Carolina for my undergrad. So South Carolina is um, in, in thick. In, uh, in our family and my blood, um, and I love this state, um, and I'm privileged to be able to, to do ministry in, in the context that I know really well because I, because I grew up here. Um, but it's, it's not always been a life in South Carolina. Um, I've spent some time right out of college. Um, I spent some time overseas in South Africa, uh, was there for two years, came back here, um, after that time with the International Mission Board as a journeyman in their uh, missions organization, and then uh, did my seminary here in Columbia at uh, Columbia International University. Spent roughly 11 years in um, youth and pastoral ministry in Columbia, and then uh, in 2020 answered a call to Chapin. Uh, my wife and I um, have six children, five girls, one boy. And we, we are blessed. Uh, our children are great. They're the they're the best thing about us and they're the hardest thing about our life. Um, but we, um, you know, we treasure them. These are the years that we know we're going to look back on and be like, wow, they went fast. My son-in-law, Aaron, is the one who uh, introduced us or connect, made this connection for us. And you met the Beasley family, I'm assuming, while you were at, um, at Carolina? That's right. Uh, Aaron's older brother, J.J., uh, and I, we met our freshman year at Carolina, which would have been way back in 2000, no, excuse me, 1997. You know what happened to, uh, to Aaron? He married a Clemson girl. So yeah, he's a better man than I. Yeah. <laughs> that's even a bigger call than going into the ministry, isn't it? Uh, maybe so, <laughs> especially the last eight or nine years. Or so. <laughs> so, so he's really on the mission field. He's trying to he's trying to make inroads there. But um, well, uh, Scott, why don't you um, uh, pick up your story? Uh, maybe as you were leaving, um, as you were leaving Carolina, you said, and heading out to uh, South Africa. How'd that all happen? So I was a uh, I was a business major at Carolina, studying finance, real estate, and I I remember realizing then that you know there were other people. Um, my age doing, you know, the college thing that had the same mm -hmm. kind of questions about faith that I had. And, um, and that was really encouraging to me that I wasn't alone in, you know, this faith journey and that, um, you know, I, I knew the gospel. I believed in Christ. I trusted in him. I, I, I did that from a very early age. My parents raised me in a Christian home, but there was a lot of areas in my life uh, that Beasley's can tell you about that weren't really in line with what I said I believed and the Lord, you know, used that time, those relationships, you know, Christian men, young men that really did love Christ to, to challenge my faith and to, 
um, convict my heart of, of areas of my life that didn't conform to um, to what I believed, you know, and so what I said um, and how I lived oftentimes didn't match up. So little by little, as that conviction uh, began to work its way through my heart and life, I started to think, well, you know, Lord, somebody's got to go, you know, live in the bush in deepest, darkest Africa. I mean, you know, I love the outdoors. I love to hunt and fish. You know, might as well be me. I mean, why not go wherever you might lead me to carry the gospel to people who've never heard it? And so I thought missions might be the way that would turn out. And um, I was able to take a short-term trip between my junior and senior year to Mali, West Africa, which is the deepest, darkest Africa. It's, you know, we were in the middle of nowhere, close to Timbuktu in Mali. We were in a little village called Nahara. The missionary that we were there to support, she's no longer on the field, but she said, hey, if you're interested in missions, if you think that might be something God's calling you to, you should look at uh, the journeyman program. It's just a two-year commitment right out of college. They pat they uh, patch you together with a career missionary somewhere around the world, and you can get a taste of what missions is like. And so I came home and started praying about that. The guys I was in a small group with, you know, started to pray for me and that. And, you know, I didn't have any debt. Um, I wasn't getting ready to get married. I, you know, I was ready for whatever adventure the Lord might have uh, for me. And and I was very zealous, um, you know, for the gospel and for Christ. And, um, you know, as he was convicting me and, and bringing me, you know, into a greater area of repentance in my life, I wanted to be used by him. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be, I want to experience what it was like to be a blessing to somebody else. And so, um, so I went through the process, which was long and arduous. It felt like as a 21 year old to, there was a local church in Cape town that I went to vibrant church. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't flashy and showy. It wasn't huge, but it was, you know, it was healthy. And so you saw this um, age range of life where Christianity was nurtured and grown and flourished. And, you know, there was a community of grace and there was there were small groups and Sunday school classes and um, a youth group that um, I helped out with sometime. And, and those people became my very best friends uh, in Cape Town. You know, it, it was it was there that I realized that um, that. The church is where Christian life really happens and really grows. And that's what I wanted to be a part of. Um, and so, you know, missions wasn't the call that God put on my life. It was through missions that God put the church on my life. Um, well, um, I was thinking as, as you shared that, I, I read a scripture this morning, which I know you're very familiar with in Acts chapter 16, where the Apostle Paul, uh, one of the greatest Christian missionaries, maybe the greatest and theologian as well. He was traveling around Asia Minor, trying to fit in, trying to find a place where God wanted him to go. And uh, every door he tried, it seemed like the, the Holy Spirit said, not this one, not this one, and, until God used that journey to uh, to uh, send him to that next assignment that that he went to the, the church of the Philippians or founded the church in Philippi. And, and it's pretty exciting that, that God doesn't leave us stuck where we are, even if we, even if, you know, we might think, well, this this wasn't really the thing. Well, yeah, it was because God used it to get you to the next thing. And right. so that that's pretty exciting to me. Well, I want to take a, a quick break, Scott. And when we come back, you said something that uh, just kind of uh, grabbed my attention. You described the church, the vibrant church that you were in. 
And uh, when we come back from our break, I want you to uh, to answer the question, um, uh, how was it alike or how was it the same as uh, the American church and how might it be different from what we experienced in the United States? So we'll be right back. Hi, this is Amy. We at Momentum Ministries recognize that we live in changing times, but God calls us to engage this culture just as He has called His church to engage every other culture in the course of history. You may feel that there is little appetite for the Word of God and the truth of Jesus Christ, but we want to remind you what Jesus said in John chapter 4. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. Even in that generation, which rejected and crucified Jesus, he said the fields were ripe unto harvest. There are many in our generation who are ready to receive eternal life. Pray for them and remember that each new setting in your life is a new calling, a new opportunity to demonstrate God's love. Scott, I I asked you a question before we went on break that I'd love to hear your answer to this is, how is the church and the vibrant, alive church, multi-generational church that you uh, were a part of in, in South Africa, how is it different? How is it the same as the church that um, that we might encounter here in the United States? Sure. Um, well, it's the same um, in some obvious ways. Um, you know, we had worship on Sunday morning. Um, we had a basic order in that service of worship that looked similar to you know, a lot of our churches here in, in America, you know, the pastor was usually the one that preached, um, the same musicians led us in songs of worship. And so there was a lot of similarities, uh, because where, where I was, um, it wasn't a a third world area. And so there were different measures of, you know, affluency, uh, middle, uh, middle, upper class, uh, lower middle class, et cetera. And so, you know, similar to the, the socioeconomic demographics that you find in, in many of our churches in South Carolina. Um, and so you, you see varying degrees of, of giving and, you know, pooling the funds to do ministry in and around uh, that community there. Um, that all happened there. And, and those kinds of things were organized. And, um, you know, they had a children's area that, um, you know, nursery could be had for, for um, new, um, new, newborn babies and um, then you had a children's ministry and you had some student ministry stuff going on youth ministry stuff going on during the week so those are similarities on differences things that that church did that you don't really see in the states um, very often is they were very engaged in bringing teams obviously from america to that area um, the pastor of the church there, his name was John Thomas. Um, several years before I arrived in, in 2002, he had started a ministry called Living Hope Ministries. Um, and it was it was an HIV focused ministry, but they ended up growing so large and they focused on all kinds of stuff, um, health care and, um, you know, food uh, provide and providing services as well as HIV um, medical treatment and stuff like that. And, uh, and so through the growth of living hope, um, King of Kings Baptist church, which was the church I'm describing, they started to be be integral in 
you know, bringing teams in and helping them get housed in the area so that they could use outside support and expose Americans to the need in in South Africa, in Cape Town, in South Africa, and then, you know, of course, in the African continent um, because of the HIV pandemic that was, you know, there. And there were teams coming in, which you don't see a lot of here in the stage. Typically, our churches aren't aren't designed and organized and built to bring others in to help us do ministry. We think, you know, we're self-sufficient. We think we don't need help. And uh, they were they were not prideful in that way. Um, they were very ready to accept um, outside assistance. And they knew there was need. You know, um, they knew that they needed the work that needed to be done was more than they could do themselves. Um, I would say as far as just worship in general and life in the church, it was a little bit more relaxed in dress and in style than the churches in South Carolina, although you've seen that kind of even out um, in the last 25 years. In the Church of the Nazarene, uh, uh, in the Baptist church, at least it, it used to be in the Nazarene church and used to be in, in some Baptist church. You'd have an amen corner or people would be a little boisterous, more relaxed, maybe like like you described South African uh, church there, maybe uh, not so much in the in the Presbyterians. I don't know whether whether that's a, a fair and honest statement or not. But um, I heard an old preacher say to me one time, saying "Amen" during the preacher sermon is like saying "Sick him to a dog." So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm going to say "Sick Sick him to you," based on your experience around the world and your experience in in South Carolina, raising kids, seeing the church. What's what is the greatest message that the church needs today? That's a great question, Scott. I, I would say, um, you know, I go back to our mission statement here that we uh, created when I got to Chapin Prez um, to magnify Christ in hearts, homes, and the world. My tendency here is to go back to that statement for, um, you know, from a leadership perspective for our our officers and our staff here to keep reminding them that's what we're about. Um, I think that's what the church should be about. If we can um, help people understand the gospel in their own lives, in their own hearts, what does it mean that Jesus died for you? Um, and how do you believe that and embrace that, appreciate that so that your life um, pattern changes by the power of the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in us who believe. I mean, I think the, the centrality of the gospel in the individual is first and foremost. Like we need to remember the, the gospel daily um, and share it with those who've never heard it and then preach it regularly to ourselves because the gospel that saves us is the gospel that grows us. And then that's going to affect the way that we uh, live in our homes. Uh, if we're married, then it's going to affect our marriages um, it's going to en enrich them. It's going to strengthen them. And then it's going to help us parent our children. Um, we're not going to, you know, hang our hats on the behavior of our kids or the accomplishments of our kids. You know, our greatest desire for our kids is that they would know Jesus like I, like we do. Um, and, and so our home is going to be centered around that then. So we're magnifying Christ in, in the individual. We're magnifying Christ in the home. And then inevitably that's going to bleed out, you know, so we're, we're exposing our children to opportunities to take Christ to the world, um, whether that's, you know, Key West or the Dominican or South Africa or Kenya 
um, or other places in the United States. Um, that's the goal of our lives is to see Christ magnified to the end of making Christ uh, known and making much of him. So what does the church need to do? Maybe not get so caught up in, you know, the, the media or the message of, um, you know, whatever the political climate is of the day in the United States, but the church needs to keep Christ, um, the focus and, and recognizes starts individually. Um, it moves into the homes and then from there it goes into the world. Um, and I think, it, I think the church is the big part of that. Um, obviously that's what, uh, I've given my life to. And then from the church, um, you know, the kingdom grows and expands around, around the world. So, um, what I'm hearing and correct me if I'm wrong, we don't need to be consumers of the gospel, but we need to be consumed by the gospel that our whole life is a reflection of our beliefs. This is it. There, there's yeah, I think the else. church has a tendency. Yeah, we, we have a tendency to compartmentalize Jesus. Um, you know, here's, you know, Jesus can have my Sunday mornings um, and, and, you know, maybe some other portion of my week. But once we have a true and real encounter with uh, the risen Christ, little by little, he takes territory in our lives. And he changes everything. Um, he changes the way that we um, work. He changes the way that we treat our employers or our employees. He changes our marriages. He changes our parenting. There's no area of our life uh, that he doesn't uh, turn and um, enrich and bless. And uh, and sometimes we're you know we're scared because it's like well, we're going to give something up that. You know, Jesus is going to do something with that we don't like. It's like, no, that's the wrong way to think. Um, Jesus makes everything better. And if we can figure out that, uh, that you know, we um, are better off when Jesus is front and center, would bring us more pleasure, then, you know, the church is really functioning and the church is really healthy. When Christians realize Jesus is actually the best thing for us. Thank you, Brother Scott. I appreciate that. And uh, I just uh, like to conclude with a prayer for you and, uh, and for our listeners as well. Father in heaven, thank you today uh, for Pastor Scott. I pray the richest blessings upon him, his wife, his six children, and on their church at Chapin Prez. God, that they would continue to lift up Jesus. And Lord, as we have heard his heart today and we have seen evidence, heard evidence of how Christ has consumed him. May that spread to each one of us so that you become, you become the central purpose, the central meaning of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate yeah. you having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate that. I hope you'll come back on Casual Conversations. I look forward to it. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate all our listeners who have been a part of today's casual conversation. So God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening in on Casual Conversations brought to you by Momentum Ministries. Visit our website at MomentumMinistries.org. That's Momentum Ministries with two M's in the middle dot O-R-G. God bless you and have a great day.